This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Hope you had a good weekend. The Combine is a wrap in Indianapolis. The Underwear Olympics conclude, and naturally, several guys shot up a little bit, including a little bitty wide receiver out of Purdue, whose name I had not heard on, uh, until this morning. But that's that's for down the road. That's not why you called. That's not why you're here you probably want me to talk about the Big Ten basketball tournament that's coming up this weekend. You're probably wondering what thoughts I had on Billy Donovan's team's performance. No, I'm just kidding with you. It's NFL time, as it always is, when my sports feed hit the floor in the morning. And I couldn't wait to get to uh, media that covered the combine over the last week. I couldn't wait to get to good morning football today because we have deadlines approaching tomorrow. The franchise tag deadline is upon us three o'clock Chicago time. As I like to say, why go with central? Why go with daylight savings? It's Chicago time. We control the Midwest, right? So three o'clock our time tomorrow, the franchise tag deadline is looming. Big decisions for a couple teams that were playoff teams this year in Baltimore and the New York Giants. And I'll get to those in just a little bit because they have tricky, tricky maneuvering to make here with their quarterbacks. I don't envy the position those guys are in. I'm more eager to jump right into what's going on with the Bears. And what's going on with the Bears is nothing you didn't know before the weekend began. They have the number one pick in the draft, and they have a ton of salary cap space for upcoming free agency in March. That's not new. That's not new. But I think the more draft coverage I hear and the more I look at the needs of teams lined up right after the Bears in those first those next eight or ten slots, the more I think the more the gravity of what's sitting in front of the Bears sits in for me. Here's what I mean. Their roster has not is not good. No one's contending it's good. However, with all of the resources at their disposal, it's easy for me to reach the conclusion Right now, there's never been a better time in in Bears' recent history. And when I say recent, I mean this century and maybe past that by a long time to get freaking healthy fast. And what does healthy mean? A playoff team. I, I, I don't think it's they won three games last year. Mac, what do you say? Yes, I do think they could make a push to win nine games. I do. I think that's within striking distance of the Bears if they spend their money wisely 
and draft and develop because they're going to have a ton of fresh faces in there when they get to training camp. I, I'm looking forward to it. If I were a Bears fan today, I would be so stoked about this offseason. I still have more questions than a lot of you do about the quarterback position. That makes me very nervous. But you don't have to make a contract decision on Justin Fields anytime soon. Let that be the headache of the Ravens and the Giants this week. That much is you'll worry about that middle of next season, middle of this upcoming season, before you start thinking about a next contract for Justin Fields. The meantime, in between time, you got to get help around him. you got to get him protection. you got to get a difference maker at wide receiver and maybe even a tight end. It's a real good class of tight ends this year. I went to um, Mike Florio's site, Pro Football Talk, today, and I read Peter King's piece, his, what does he call it? Uh, what's the name of his column? I can't recall. Football Morning in America. Football Morning in America. He sat down with Ryan Poles Saturday. 19 floors above the hard scrabble of the Indianapolis streets. 50 minutes they spent together. And I read this column after I'd already been thinking these thoughts for several weeks on the wealth that is sitting in the lap of Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and new president Kevin Warren. I already have been thinking a lot about that, how how many riches they could they could they could be Charles Foster Kane stocking the largest domicile known to man with statues and relics and zoos and golf course. They have a chance. They've had a playground in front of them. It is just you could let your mind wander, I think, if you're a Bears fan about this. And the more I read um, from Peter King in his conversation, that his takeaways from his visit with polls, the more I started thinking about how I was spot on several weeks ago with just how rich this is for the Bears. Uh, <laughs> They're sitting on what looks like a, a lottery ticket that the first three numbers of the six necessary are are in order, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way to you, or am I, am I overstating it? I welcome your reactions. You can get at me on Twitter at Danny Mac Show or on my Facebook page if you want. Polls told King. It's time for this organization. And those are merely words. But when you look at all of the things that comprise this conversation, and it's multi-layered with facilities being new, a new stadium not too far down the road, all of that money for talent, all of the draft capital the Bears are going to accrue. It certainly does feel like Rafiki from the Lion King. It is time. It feels like it's time. Everything feels right, Polls said. Peter King did the math for us on to, to illuminate two things, just how young Ryan Polls is and how long it's been since the Bears have been good. I thought this was, this was a good little nugget. Polls is 37 years old. When the Bears won the Super Bowl, woof, woof, squashing the Patriots, Patriots in New Orleans, Jan 26 of 96, Ryan Poles was four months old. When they won a playoff game last in 2010, Poles was a fresh-faced, he's still very fresh-faced, he's a very youthful 37, 
He was a kid in his second year with the Kansas City Chiefs organization as a scout, still riding a bicycle with training wheels on it. And they can flip this thing so fast. There are suitors available who can help them immediately. And it, it, it starts with the team slated to pick right after the Bears have with the number one. Houston has not just the number two, but it also has the 12. Let your mind wander. Indianapolis is sitting there at four. Chris Ballard already has said he wants a quarterback. And why wouldn't you? You've been band-aiding these Indianapolis Colts year after year after year since Andrew Luck's unexpected retirement. Five years and five starters and a bunch of other guys who were in the system who you knew, the Sam Ellingers of the world who you knew weren't going to be guys who could get you anywhere. Indy's sitting there at four. That's a very likely suspect for the Bears. Maybe not most likely, but a potential trade partner. The Las Vegas Raiders have the seventh pick in the first round. Derek Carr is gone there after nine years. Vegas is going to draft a quarterback. Vegas is definitely on the table for the Bears. Carolina is an incredibly uh, good potential trade partner for the Bears. The owner, David Tepper, has indicated our quarterback of the future is not here. So it would be shocking if the Panthers didn't try with all their might to get that first pick in the draft from Chicago. Tennessee is a potential suitor as well. At number 11, you don't know how long they're going to try and ride the Ryan Tannehill train, but they're possible. And there's an outside shot. Seattle is a player here. They have the number five pick in round one. They have a quarterback probably in Geno Smith. He's not young. He's 31 years old. Comeback player of the year. Terrific story. But it it wouldn't be beyond the realm of uh, possible. I don't think it's beyond possibility. They would make him happy because I think it's a good fit. They seem to be very into each other, Pete Carroll and Geno Smith. That was a good vibe you got from that. It doesn't mean everything. Money ultimately will swing it. But I can see see him not doing a monster contract uh, in terms of length or dollars, but a very nice three-year deal. And uh, that pays him really good money, but not not the Sean Watson or even Russell Wilson money. That's a possibility there. And they could draft and develop for when they move on from Geno Smith. That's possible. Polls intimated the minimum to get conversation lively, to slow dance uh, instead of doing the overbite is to get a first-rounder this year. You're flipping the first-rounders this year. You want our one. We're getting your first-round pick, and we're getting your first-round pick in 2024, and again the following year in 25. That's the minimum ante to get in the conversation. God, is that sweet. You get a lousy team. I mean, look at these teams. If you trade with Carolina and you get their pick next year, how many games are the Panthers going to win regardless who they draft? How many games are the Vegas Raiders going to win? How many will Indy win? And that offensive line that paved the way for the NFL's leading rusher two seasons ago looked bad last year. Indy could be going backwards before it goes forwards next. This is just an, an incredibly delicious time 
if you're a Bears fan, and right now it's just visions of sugar plums, I get it, but it sure does set up. It would be hard for them to not be radically better next season, wouldn't it? Oh, man, good stuff. The franchise tag deadline, 3 o'clock our time tomorrow. The New York Giants are expected to put the tag on quarterback Daniel Jones. They rejected. They did not pick up his fifth-year option. Jones hired a new agent. A group that represents him was meeting with the Giants over the weekend in Indianapolis, and the group left reporting they're not anywhere close to getting a long-term deal for their client who had a really good year last year. I don't blame the Giants. I I think that's, I hate to pay him $32 million a year. That's about what the the franchise will get for both Jones and Jackson, if that's where Baltimore goes as well. Tough for me to think Daniel Jones is going to be, if you look at it based on production, worthy of getting the average of a top five quarterback. I, I don't know how that happens, but you got to do it. it. It's a painful move you got to make if you're the Giants. You're not committed to him for more than a year. You hope he continues to progress, and then you have another difficult decision to make. If you get the franchise deal done with Jones, if you franchise him, bring him back, $32, 33000000 million, you have to deal with what you're doing with Saquon Barkley, whose deal's up. You got a long-term Barkley? Lots of luck. I uh, I agreed with what Kyle Brandt said on Good Morning Football today. I have felt for several years, those of you who've been with me know this, that running backs are are just really unfortunate. It's a bad era to be a running back, and it's not going to change. We all have to accept it. These are my words. Uh, I, I joked years ago the running backs should form their own union within the union because the life expectancy of the position is ridiculously shorter than it is of other positions. And at any moment, your career is over. I mean, it is for all of them, but more so for running backs. They take beatings and they don't take beatings like they used to, but they have to be more versatile than they used to be. They have to catch the ball as well. If they're going to get big money deals. And how many more of those big money deals are running backs going to get man? Barkley, if you're, if you could get him, at three years, if you could get him to agree to, th- that's about as long as I'd be willing to go on a running back. I'd pay Barkley as much as any back running back in the league right now. But he's been hurt a lot, and he's a young guy. Not his fault he's hurt. He's hurt because he plays running back. It's a nasty freaking vocation. Lamar Jackson is a tougher putt. That's That's a pickle for the Ravens. They want him there. Their fans want him there. Baltimore is, uh, where did I see this over the weekend? Baltimore's population is 63% African-American. Nothing wrong with people rooting for their own race or their own religion or their own sexual orientation or a guy who likes the same music. It's a good fit in Baltimore. He's a former MVP. He also has been hurt a lot. He's going to want, he wants $45 million a year. That would be what he would get with one of the two different tags, the restricted tag, the unrestricted tag. There's different ways you could shake that out. Um, 
where it would cost the Ravens either 32 or 33 for one year with him or around 45 million, I think is the other figure I saw. Uh, he won't want to play for that, but he'll have to unless he can find somebody to match a deal and be willing to work a trade with Baltimore, which wants him, but is is getting short in its window to be good. You know, had he been available, if if the if the Ravens squeak out their tough playoff loss, maybe it, it's a whole we're singing a whole different tune this this week about Lamar Jackson. If he had another week to get ready and he comes back and they wind up in the AFC title game or or in the Super Bowl, I didn't feel that good about their chances to do that. But this playing the what if game here, it's an interesting you know thought if nothing else. I am not a Lamar Jackson advocate. I I would like to be, but I've seen too much evidence. In ter- when I say advocate, meaning a long-term contract for him, what ultimately happens in Baltimore is going to be this. You heard it here first, unless you've heard it elsewhere, and I haven't heard it elsewhere. Uh, they're going to do a three-year deal with him. I, I will be surprised if it doesn't wind up being a three-year deal. They will meet the high price for today's long to per annum they'll they'll meet what Deshaun Jackson or Deshaun Watson makes in a year I don't know what Deshaun Jackson's earning these days they'll match that but they'll not go as many years as the Browns went on that deal or as the Broncos went on the Wilson deal no way why would you same thing with running backs high risk Quarterbacks who get hit a lot need to run a lot to be effective, last a shorter period of time. Those are facts, and they are indisputable. Am I quoting a few good men? I think I am. I think, you know, Jackson's going to wind up staying with the Ravens. I I suspect it'll be that three-year deal I talked about. I don't know if it'll happen before this year goes down, before – you know, is it possible? There seems to be a lot of people think there's some contemptuous feelings beginning to build between the Ravens and Jackson. I don't know if there are or aren't. And I've been poking around. I can't get my guy to commit on whether my guy uh, on whether that's the case or it isn't. But uh, I think he winds up staying there. It's going to be fun to watch all these things. It's going to be fun to watch draft coverage as we get ready for that free agency as well before that. But uh, again, my takeaways are, God, are the Bears sitting pretty? And man, do the Giants and Ravens have tough decisions to make. There's a rock and roll nugget and a a couple of movie things I want to share with you today before I leave you and before you leave me. Gary Rossington died over the weekend. He was 71 years old. Gary Rossington was the last living member who was a co- living member of Leonard Skinnerd, Southern Fried Boogie of the 70s, uh, their original cast, founding members. He passed away. The family has not disclosed details of it yet. He had heart issues three and a half years ago, I think it was. I, you know, I have contended for a while. It is crazy. There's a band out there touring calling itself Leonard Skinnerd. Because they they were granted permission by the band because I think there were only a couple of them left who were lucid enough or or interested enough or alive enough to make the decisions. 
nobody ever should have continued to call themselves Leonard Skinner long ago, but I clearly hope now, after the last founding member has passed, Gary Rossington, going forward, nobody will call themselves Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner's been gone for a long time, and if you missed out on Leonard Skinner, and you're a classic rocker, uh, you missed out, and part of that was on them. They they marketed themselves terribly, and I knew this as a teenager long before this country got a little bit more in tune with what things we were taught as kids, old ways of thinking, Civil War era ways of thinking, and a lot of people in Northwest Indiana have Southern roots because of the Industrial Revolution. People like my dad's family came up from Arkansas in the 50s because factories were booming in Northwest Indiana. There were steel mills. There were all kinds of places where workers could go and earn a good wage. And they brought with them Southern ideas, and not all of them were met very fondly by some of us. And Leonard Skinnerd put the Confederate flag on album covers. It was hard to find a Leonard Skinnerd product that didn't have that symbol of hatred on it. And I loved their music. Their music is so different. It, it is, it is the unique is the word. They don't sound like any other rock band. They have a Southern influence. They deploy Boogie Woogie Piano. Billy Powell loved him. Whiskey Rocker Roller, one of the greatest highway songs ever produced. Loved these guys. I saw them in their last Chicago appearance. It was in uh, 77. The plane went down that killed frontman Ronnie Van Zant, uh, rhythm guitarist Steve Gaines, and his sister Cassie Gaines, who was a supporting vocalist and also the band's ganjista. She got their weed for him. For those of you who don't speak the language, they they all perished in that crash, and it was very very sad. I wrote about it for my high school newspaper in Highland, the Trojanal, when the plane went down in October of '77. I'd just seen their show. Uh, they were a terrific rock and roll band, but they were marketed tragic, tragically, uh, just not, not real sharp. And there were a lot of tragedies. I mean, the last founding member is gone and he was 71, man. Oh man. That's, that's a lot of short living right there. Um, and a lot of it, not clean living and that can lead to it obviously, but, uh, it's, uh, it's too bad. You see, you see, you know, and this is what I told people who rejected, you know, sweet home of Alabama. That's kind of hillbilly-ish, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Doesn't mean it isn't an awesome song, but yes, it's hillbilly-ish. And if all you know is sweet home of Alabama and Freebird, and you look at Leonard Skinnerd now on a website, back then uh, on an album cover, and you saw the Confederate flag, you thought, man, what? I'm going to open this up and I'm going to put my needle on the vinyl. And you know what I'm going to hear? I'm going to hear a bunch of dudes sitting on a porch, blowing a jug and picking banjos. To me, that's what that effing flag represents. Um, Leonard Skinner was so talented. What a great, great Southern rock band. 
R.I.P. Gary Washington, 71. Tom Sizemore, the actor, passed away over the weekend as well. It wasn't it was no surprise. He had a brain aneurysm is recently what 10 days or so ago. He's had several health problems. Sizemore has, you know, had lived on the edge for a long time. Those characters he portrayed in so many movies. From people in the business, not necessarily a departure. He lived rather recklessly. He looked it. Didn't he just look? And his characters, more often than not, were evil MFers. I don't want to recommend the movie to you, but Paparazzi. (laughs) Yes, I've seen Paparazzi. It's awful. Oh, God, is it terrible. Cole Hauser, who was one of the guys in Goodwill Hunting who hung around with Damon, he was the quiet guy in the back of the car, hardly said anything. Bill, uh, in Goodwill Hunting, he was in the breakup with Vince Vaughn. He was his pervert little brother in that. He's the star of this film, Paparazzi, and and Tom Sizemore is one of the paparazzi, and he's just a real piece of shit. And he, it's, it's just, it's a horrible movie. Dennis Farina is in it. Little Chicago flavor for you. Um, I don't recommend it, but Sizemore is just garbage in that movie. His character in um, Saving Private Ryan was a likable character. And boy, did Sizemore sell getting shot in the ass as well as anybody. Have you ever seen a guy in a war picture look more like he really just got took bullets in the ass than Sizemore did in Saving Private Ryan? What an accomplishment. I didn't win an Oscar, but damn, I had the ass mechanics down when I took lead. Tom Sizemore was a Detroit native. He was born in November of 1961, and I knew that before he got sick. And this is not the best. This is not the happiest part of the podcast today, but it's God's honest truth. When you're born in 1961, and it's current day, it's March 6, 2023, you see people your age and younger dying all the time. You cannot help be mindful of the reality. Math is not on your side. The average life expectancy for, I think it demographically, there's a breakdown of it. I think I saw white men 15 years ago in America was 76.2 years. That is down at least two years from the last census and experts attribute it to opioid addiction. More people, a lot of young people are dying very young from heroin overdoses and other opioid overdoses. And older people also are dying rather rapidly in the last 20 years from opioid use. So the life expectancy is way down. Whether you use drugs, don't use drugs. You, you get to be 50 things. Things are changing. You need colonoscopies regularly. You, you have to monitor your you know, sugar different. We don't live forever. No one here gets out alive, Jim Morrison. But I I notice when I'm watching films now, if I'm looking at the cast, because technology is so good, I think it's here to stay. You can hit a little button on your remote and see all the cast members while you're watching the movie. You don't have to go anywhere else. The movie goes up in a smaller box on the left side of my 57-inch Samsung And then I get the bio on the right side of the actor and I'll be watching a movie and I'll punch up an actor. And I always notice when they're around my age and if it's a deceased actor, I always do the math on when they're gone. You say, "Woo, wow, that's uncool. Charles Martin Smith from the, um, the untouchables and other fun movies, um, didn't live long. 
Wow. J.T. Walsh, he didn't live long, died in his 50s. You see it all the time. You're much more aware of it. So that's how I had committed to memory Tom Sizemore, born in Detroit in November of 1961, because I, too, uh, am a 1961 product. And <laughs> like Tom Sizemore, I'm not going to live forever either. What a happy thought to conclude this show. We could have more news by the uh, by the time we get together again on Thursday. I'm very much looking forward to seeing an old acquaintance, Clark Kellogg, uh, the former Ohio State star, the MVP of the Big Ten. His junior year before he entered the NBA draft, he was chosen by the Pacers, had a nice little NBA career, but a fantastic second act, Vandy. Uh, as a broadcaster, you've watched him on CBS's coverage of college basketball for, what, 30 years or so now. When I was a, a young producer reporter on the old AM loop, we had the rights to Bulls games. On occasion, I would get to host those those programs uh, on the weekends, pre- and post-game shows, and we drove to Indianapolis a few times, had college friends down there, wanted to, and I would, I would always have Clark on the headphones. He did Pacers games for a number of years, and he was one of the first athletes I first interviewed. Well, some of my early locker room days for WBST and Muncie were covering Pacers games in Indianapolis, and they had a ton of Big Ten flavor, too. Jerry Seasting of Purdue, Jim Thomas of IU, Clark Kellogg, Ohio State, uh, Granville Waiters, Ohio State, later came to the Bulls. Clark and I will be at Bet Rivers in Des Plaines, right off of the Tri-State, not far from the Big Ten offices. Uh, that's this coming Thursday night. This Thursday night, the 9th, go to uh, go to uh, Rivers Casino or go to Bet Rivers. You could find it on either site or either app. All of the information as to what's in, what we're doing that night. The fun starts at around 6 o'clock. We'll do a meet and greet right around that time. That's Thursday night. Clark Kellogg and I will be at Rivers Casino thanking Adam Delavitt for all of his help with everything I do here at Bet Rivers and my producer, Sam Michael who today hates technology tomorrow. He will have his head wrapped. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. I'm Danny Mac. Bye.